host, Seema Vasa. Our program is designed to bring you business tips and success stories directly from the people who are making it happen. If you could use a little motivation and a lot of ideas to help you and your company move forward, stick around for the next hour. Now, here is Seema Vasa. Welcome to the forum. My name is Seema Vasa, your host. Today we have a very special guest. We have Lenny Murphy, and for those folks in the research industry, they know him as a thought leader. He's also editor-in-chief of the Green Book blog and Green Book Research Industry Trends Report, as well as senior partner at Gen2 Advisors. Welcome, Lenny, to the show. Hi, Seema. Thanks for having me. So I know we have lots to talk about. Our industry is changing probably as we speak. Lenny, I want to start off with a question that I think is near and dear to many of us, and that is, what's your assessment in terms of where we are as an industry? Where does market research uh, stand as an industry from your perspective? Uh, we only have an hour. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, the, uh, <laughs> and it's actually a complicated answer. Um, I mean, in many ways, the, 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 the recognition of how data and data can be used to deliver insights that are valuable uh, across the board um, is just growing in importance every day. So in some cases, I would say that the research industry is in a very good position in terms of its core mission. Um, From a practical standpoint, uh, uh, not quite so good, uh, simply because lots of other folks recognize that there's lots of ways to utilize data to deliver insights that don't have much to do with the way that the research industry has traditionally functioned. Um, you know, surveys and focus groups um, is the, you know, kind of the best examples. They're still incredibly relevant, um, still important channels to getting information, but we don't hold, uh, uh, we don't hold a uh, unique position to deliver that any longer. Uh, technology has simply changed the game, right? It's it's democratized the ability to uh, get information and uh, and analyze that information in ways that just were almost unimaginable uh, even a decade ago, um, in some cases even five years ago. So we're in a strange place, Seema. Um, yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, lots of opportunity and not real sure how to get it. Oh, would you say that these other types of information are overtaking traditional surveys and, and focus groups or in-depth interviews, or is it? are they kind of both going down parallel tracks and we're just expanding the universe of information that is available to us? So I think it depends on your definition of overtaken. Uh, I mean, you know, there's other categories that utilize data to deliver insights that from a revenue uh, perspective are bigger than, than research. Um, so business intelligence, for instance, you know, that's a much larger category. Um, uh, there's some that are, are nearing parity, uh, marketing technology, which is also right. deployed often uh, from a data standpoint, you know, multi-billion dollar industries. Even the research industry itself has struggled to redefine itself to incorporate some of those other channels to give the appearance of growth. The reality is traditional market research is flat or declining, and that's been true year on year for the past few years. Um, But we like to play with the numbers and say, but now we're going to (laughs) include web analytics into the equation. (laughs) See, that's growing, so the research industry is growing, and there's truth to that. I put that with it. You know, it is valid, I think, that they they fit under that. But, you know, underlying, uh, there's certainly indications that other other channels um, are growing and certainly are growing faster than traditional market research uh, has. Um, and 
yeah, I think they're just proving the use case, right? So there's, right. you know, the, the early discussions around social media analytics, for instance, that, you know, social media would kill uh, the need to ever do a focus group. Well, no, that didn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, it didn't do that. Um, it's, it's valuable in specific use cases, and it continues to evolve in what those use cases are, but it didn't replace the need to do traditional research, and I don't think we're close to that yet either. Um, uh, what I do think is we're seeing a uh, where technology is just changing how we go about the process of research. So automation, AI, those things, um, uh, arguably, I think we'll see a decline in spend in what we think of as traditional research simply because it's a lot cheaper to do because new tools are making it cheaper to do. Gotcha. So, so give us an example, Lenny, for, for people who are not you know, who can envision what you're talking about specifically? Where do you see AI and automation kind of replacing some of the, you know, traditional costs or processes that could, uh, you know, essentially bring the cost down for MR? Sure. Um, so, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm on the board of Zappy Store, um, and I'm going to okay. use them as an example because I know sure. your business best. Um, uh, you know, so Zappy, their first uh, first thought was, why do we need to create a brand new um, brand equity questionnaire every single time? Right. Know, there's really only so many ways to ask these questions. There's, there's best practices and leaders in the industry. Why can't we de- just template that, mm-hmm. um, plug in the specific variables that are necessary? Um, uh, so you know, it's the same basic questions, and you're plugging in Procter & Gamble versus Johnson & Johnson or Unilever, right? Right. Um, and... Uh, then use technology to automate the recruitment of sample, getting people to take mm-hmm. the survey, and then automate the reporting as well. So, so a human didn't have to touch all those pieces over and over again because that's where the costs were. Right. So uh, in that model, uh, one of the great quotes, um, at least apocryphal, uh, is to Stanston Anderson, who's the uh, global head of insights at, at Unilever, uh, saying at the time, if I can save 80% of my budget and only sacrifice 20% of the quality, then why the hell would I not do that? Right, right. right. Um, and that was exactly what they did. So, uh, you know, so we went from you know, spending $30,000 a pop to do a brand equity uh, study to spending $5,000 a pop to do a brand equity study. And we went from taking 30 days to do it to taking two days to do it. And all that was missing was the human components. Um, which arguably in those type of very specific templated things, right, that there's only so many ways you can do it, right. how much value to begin with. Right. So, um, so that was really revolutionary. Um, uh, and it's something that, that the industry has struggled with. The other, uh, on the other parallel would be uh, kind of more general uh, DIY surveys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, companies like Qualtrics or, uh, or SurveyMonkey or AYTM who created templates of best practices of how to ask a question, so that even a non-researcher could make sure that they weren't asking a question stupidly. <laughs> right, right. So they, they could pick and say, here's, you know, here's the experience of how to ask this question and, and deploy that as a survey and, and be reasonably confident that they're going to get good data back. Um, and there's lots of other examples. Google surveys, another example, you know, where they standardize, you know, they weren't going to let people program surveys that were going to be really bad because they just limited the exposure. You, know, you could only ask a few questions and you could only ask questions in this way. 
So right. lots of examples of things like that that just use technology to make sure that you can do things really quickly, really effectively, and really cheaply. Um, and that's been a uh, you know, profound change. And those companies continue to grow while the traditional full-service suppliers, the folks that are more human-driven, that are all custom, continue to decline, or at least that part of their business declines. Right. And, you know, I, I know there was a point in time, at least, you know, through my experience in the, in the space, where... A questionnaire was almost like a, a, a beautiful painting, right? You you put the finishing touches on it. You kind of understand the business objective. You design you design this beautiful survey, and you have robust results. What, what, have we lost some of that art and science of questionnaire writing through this process, or does it not matter anymore? Um. Well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, um, for one. That's true. So Very true. I'm really proud of my grit survey. Um, I think yeah. it's a great survey, and I get a ton of flack for it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there is that. But overall, That's to your point, um, no, I, I don't think so. I think we've just we've realized that um, there doesn't necessarily have to be a tremendous amount of art for uh, things that are highly structured and replicable over and over again, which right. happens to be where a big, big chunk of the budget for, for research organizations, you know, the Procter & Gamble's, the, the Cokes, uh, Microsoft's of the world, what they spend on, right? They spend right. on a lot of what I tend to think of as kind of checkbox research. It's important. You know, you need to test the ad before you launch it. But there's not a whole lot of art at this point in structuring a survey for a concept test or an ad test. Right? right, Miller Brown, for example, um, mm-hmm. arguably is one of the best in the world at doing that, or Brain Juicer is one of the best in the world at doing that, and they know how to ask those. They ask the, right. same, the, the same thing over and over again. So, so what? Go ahead, Lenny. Sorry. No, I was just going to say I think that the, the art still comes in in really strategic research, um, not tactical research, and a lot of research is tactical by its very nature. Sure. And, and and do you think that's really where the human element does play a, an important factor in terms of, you know, being able to look at the data, being able to write the questionnaire, the grid survey, if you will? Um, there is an important role in, in, in the human element, I would imagine, in those types of research projects. There is. Um, and... Uh, so you're kind of leading me down a path to self-promotion here for, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm going to, I'll have uh, detail on why I say that. So, so yes, we looked at the industry uh, over the past few years and saw the growth of automation and DIY and all of these tools, right, that were removing right. the human element to an extent, but not entirely, primarily because clients still needed help, um, with some aspect of the research process, either maybe maybe it's to write the questionnaire, maybe it's to program the questionnaire, um, maybe it's to do the uh, the back end data analysis, heavy lifting, or maybe it's to to uh, take that uh, data and uh, turn that into insights that are easily communicated through infographics or you know great visualizations, or the consultative component of okay, what does all this mean? Right. They don't necessarily have the resources to do all of those things. And the technology companies don't want to touch any of that with a 10-foot pole. Right? That's not their business. They're tech companies. Right. So the business model is entirely different. Um, so the more service they have, the more valuation they have. So they don't want it. Um, so, so, no, we've actually bet the farm on uh, ourselves, even at Green Book, in developing a technology-driven talent marketplace to address that gap. 
to, to deliver the human element to the technology platforms. And I don't want to get too much into talking about Savio, but that's, you know, we, we saw the need, so we invested money to build it because we saw there was still a need for being able to uh, deliver uh, human consultation across um, across these technology-driven platforms. It just isn't necessarily going to be a one-stop shop, and that was the way the research traditionally was. You went to one vendor, and right. they handled the whole thing soup to nuts. So instead, it's more kind of gig economy-oriented, right? You, 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 only, you pick and choose, a la carte, the specific pieces that you need, um, and that's, the, the response to that has been phenomenal. Um, that's interesting. You know, so is it almost that every every person's their own brand in that model, I would imagine, right? Where they are fulfilling a specific need for a client, um, depending on the project or what type of research or vertical it might be, and, and they can go in and be selected for a specific project, not necessarily having to have a huge company behind it to be able to deliver on that value proposition. That's, that's exactly right. The, the, we are having the, the conversations with the big supplier companies um, that... So we don't care if there's 100 people within Savio who all work for TNS. That's okay. okay. Right. Um, the, uh, and TNS can be the billing agent behind them. That's okay, too. Um, right. So, but the point is it is around the individual. Now, there is, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about Savio. I feel abusive mm-hmm. of your time. But the, we did recognize that there was a need to build team functionality in there to allow for for multiple people within an organization or even multiple people from multiple organizations to participate in a project to help a client. Um, so there's still definitely value that comes through the scale and reach of big, uh, of big research suppliers. But the focus is on individual expertise versus company expertise, yes. Got it. And, well, I mean, we're seeing this trend everywhere, right? You go to any kind of, you know, even charting. There's so many tools that allow you to link people uh, to projects, and it's an efficient way to to work. So this, you know, our industry was, is no different than any other industry where this is happening, I would imagine. Yeah, and well, we, we knew that this was actually, there, there were other established marketplaces that were sniffing around the research space specifically. Gotcha. So, um, so this was going to happen one way or the other. You know? <laughs> um, and why not jump uh, on it? Yeah, yeah, and because it's happening everywhere else. Yes, you're in, and the world is filled. It's this the, the Uber, the Uberification, if you will. Yes. Um, uh, which personally I find very, because I, I've worked, I've been a sole proprietor and, and uh, a consultant now for so many years, that the idea of empowering other people to take control of their own destiny mm-hmm. and not be beholden to any one company, I, I'm pretty passionate about it. Um, right. And I think that it's actually probably more along the future of, of the world as a whole. Uh, as we get into the more applications of artificial intelligence and robotics and all of those things, there are going to be a lot of jobs that disappear simply because it's, it's cheaper and easier to do it via technology. So how do we create channels for individuals with specific skills to be able to still use those skills just in a very different way that doesn't necessarily support a business model of a big, big business? It's very uh, interesting, Lenny. We're, we're going to take it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Sina. I was just going to say, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, the trends in market research. And also, I want to talk a little bit about not just the automation, but yeah, I continue to read about the important skills for the future. And so much of it is about human connection. And how does that play a part uh, within our industry as well? Stay tuned. We'll continue the conversation with Lenny when we come back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity-2.com. Now back to the program. And we are back. I am talking to Lenny Murphy, who is a thought leader in the research space and holds many other positions as well. Lenny and I were talking about prior to the break, the impact of automation on our industry. And before we left for the break, we wanted to talk a little bit about the human element uh, that might still be required, that will be required. I know, Lenny, you and I were talking, we have children, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we read today is that the the differentiator in terms of skills for our children are going to be to be able to connect humanly, to socialize, to have eye contact. And I just wonder, as we go through this transformation in our industry, where do you think that plays a part in terms of the human element? Yeah, well, so I'm trying to separate thinking as a dad from thinking yeah. as a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. An entrepreneur or uh, a business person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't believe that... I believe that human intuition, um, which yes. is kind of a dirty word in the research space, but it is valuable, um, uh, human insight, uh, the ability for, for people to inherently connect dots and look for patterns that are not necessarily so easily recognized just from a data standpoint um, will never go away. Um, right. And that means that we have to be able to interact with one another. Um, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that, uh, for instance, online focus groups did not even come close at this point to replacing traditional focus groups is because there is value in observing body language. There's an inherently human element uh, to be able to interpret what people may be thinking or feeling just from looking at them. That no matter how good our technology is, it's not good enough yet, right? Right. So facial right. scanning, those type of things, we're just not there yet. Um, mm-hmm. We may get there, but um, 
you know, there's still some magic that we as a species can, can perform. Um, and I don't see that being supplanted anytime soon. Um, I think that the goal of the technology at that point will be to make that a, a faster process. It will aid us. It will give us more information to go on. Um, but I don't think it will replace our ability to look at something and just, you know, derive an unspoken level of, of information uh, just by how we process so many variables um, going on around us constantly, right? Right, right. Um, so it does concern me when I see uh, kids. So I've, so I've got kids from the ages of 21 to 4, so and everything in between. So... And you have six uh, so of them. You have you know, six kids. They, and all of them I would classify primarily as digital natives for all right. purposes. Right. And, um, but there's a bit of a strain, the four-year-old and the 21-year-old, in terms of how they interact with technology. Um, and the 21-year-old is much more comfortable not communicating face-to-face with folks. Um, so she can live virtually. Interesting. Easily. Wow. The four-year-old is not. Right. The four-year-old, um, and, and the same is true with my six and my eight-year-old. So right. they, they, they certainly utilize technology incredibly well, um, but they still really crave interaction with other people. Right. Um, so and I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, if there's something, I don't think it's anything that I've done as a parent to change mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, I think there's something just generationally that seems to be occurring uh, where the this, I don't even know what the term is for, for that age group. I don't think they're Gen Z. I'm, they're whatever gen they're going to be. They're younger than that, yeah. Yeah. I, they, they, they seem to be balancing those two imperatives better than the Gen Z or millennials um, uh, have been. So that gives me a lot of hope. That, That's good. That we'll we'll just kind of come into some type of equilibrium around all of yep. this. Let's hope so. Uh, yeah. that, that, that leads me to another question that I'm also interested in, in your perspective, and that is, you know, as we think about our industry and as we continue to grow and, and progress in our careers, obviously we need bench strength to continue and evolve as an industry. What are you seeing in terms of younger people coming into the industry and their, and their interest? And, um, are you seeing more and more people interested in our industry, or is it kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to go into market research. I'm just going to kind of stay in the big data space. What, what's your take on that? Um, so, again, I think it depends on the age cohort, um, for one, yeah. the, uh, uh, and, and their individual drivers. So, right. um, I, I was just personal observation, um, again, through my own, my sure. own kids. My, my oldest kid and her friends uh, they all just kind of want to do what they want to do. Um, and they don't seem to be particularly focused on the idea of owning a big house and, uh, you know, making a lot of money and doing those type of things. They want to travel. They want to socialize. They want a lot of freedom. Um, so they seem to have a different set of values mm-hmm. um, as it relates to how they live their lives. Um, and so that's a, that's a big business issue, yeah. right? Business isn't yes. based around that type of freedom. So, no, you go to work from nine right. to five, you know? Right. And actually, not even that, right? So I know, I'm sure you and I both share yes. the opinion of, no, you work 70 <laughs> hours a week, you know? Yes. That's what you do. Right. Um, so, uh, so 
Uh, I'm not sure how we address that potential cultural gap yes. that maybe may exist with uh, with the incoming generation that we need um, mm-hmm. to participate in the workforce. Um, the folks that came a little bit after that uh, definitely. Uh, Lots of programmers, lots of folks that are used to working in data, um, and they right. don't think of research as uh, necessarily a, a good fit for their skills. Right. Um, the uh, yeah, they're much more interested in working with with larger data sets and, and algorithms and and AI that you've um, and that's just different than uh, than what research offers. So we have some work to do to attract them as well. Where I do see us attracting people uh, now. Is Folks who have an uh, interest in uh, the social sciences, so anthropology, um, psychology, uh, behavioral economics, um, we are finding homes for them in the research yes. space. And that makes perfect sense. As all this data continues to come into the industry, kind of putting a wrapper and understanding the underpinnings of it, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll see. And, and there's a need for them, for sure. Yeah. I totally agree. I, you know, I, I agree with, we've talked to many people and I, I just underscore that same issue that many of our businesses are facing and that is, you know, having to deal with the, the different value set among a younger generation of people in the workforce and how do you kind of create that magic that allows you to align to your business but also motivates and kind of nurtures that employee and, you know, I think it's, it's a work in progress like so much of this stuff is as well. Well, that's the reason why you know, I'm really interested in the idea of the gig economy overall, you know, the yes. Uberification of everything, um, because, uh, you know, it's, what's the term I saw the other day, the side hustle, you know? Yes, and that's, yeah. Uh, and, and everybody's got a side hustle. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and I think that more and more people simply embrace that idea uh, of not being in the, the traditional workforce, uh, but instead doing lots of different things that uh, fit their lifestyle that also allows them to have control over their financial destiny to an extent. I totally agree. And I, 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 it's very different. And I think, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's a wave of the future, as you, as you said. I think people want to control their destiny, and that's a, a great way to control their brand, as well as kind of how much they want to work and how much time they want to put into it. I want to switch gears a little bit to this notion of personal data economy. You had highlighted that as something that you see as an important topic. Lenny, tell, give us your perspective, number one, on terms of how you define that. What does that truly mean? So... Um, the, uh, the World Economic Forum uh, classified personal data as an asset uh, back in 2011. So it means any information that relates to me, to my behavior, um, to my web browsing, to my likes, my dislikes, my tweets, um, uh, you know, the, uh, my mobile usage, all of those things, that that should be classified as personal data uh, that we own. And therefore, we should monetize it. Uh, or have the ability to monetize it. Now, to date, the the big social platforms, um, Google and Facebook are probably the best examples of this overall. The trade-off has been, and you see this in every app you download, right? Right. Um, the terms of service are, you know, we get access to your data, and in return, we're going to make money off of that, and in return, you get this for free. You get this technology for free. Gotcha. And how they primarily monetize that data is through advertising marketing right um, so uh, so you could argue that that the idea of 
of the asset uh, being monetized still exists. It's just being bartered. Um, uh, but I don't think that goes nearly far enough. I, I've often thought that the biggest mistake that Mark Zuckerberg ever made was when they went public was not giving every single member of Facebook a share in Facebook. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I, I think that they would now be the largest company in the world um, yep. if they had done that because it, it, it gave it would give skin in the game to the consumer, mm-hmm. you know, to the user. Um, there's it's easy to fall into the idea that. Uh, you're using me because right. they are using us, right? right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have permission to do that. So, right. you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, adult consent for sadomasochistic relationships. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you, I mean, I don't even think the average user understands that barter. I, 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 I truly don't. I, I could be wrong, but... You know, I don't, I don't, I think consumers are so quick to click, 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 let me get to the application and, and use whatever I'm downloading as quickly as possible. What's your take on that? Um, I, I would agree, and I would maybe say that I don't think they care, um, at least not uh, the majority. The, um, you know, we have the, the, the privacy hawks, particularly in Europe, uh, right. they seem to be more sensitive to that, but, um, but in the U.S., I, I, I think most people get that oh, this is how I get to use uh, this game for free, you know, uh, because I'm going to see ads. And if I don't want to see ads, I need to pay something for that ad, uh, for the, the app without ads. Um, I think folks get it, at least on a, a subconscious level. But I don't think they recognize how valuable it really is. Um, you know, in the research space, we have recognized the idea that personal data is valuable because we offer incentives to people to participate in research. So, That's right. You know, we reward them for their time, even though often it's a very pitiful reward. Right. Um, uh, but, but it's acknowledgement. It's acknowledgement that we recognize that you're, you're giving some time out of your life to do this, and we appreciate it. And, you know, yes, here's a buck. You know? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't spend uh, it on one spot. than that, certainly. <laughs> um, I'm more of the surveys. But, the, um, uh, but there's really an opportunity, and I think that this is another unique a position for the, the research industry to think outside of, particularly the, the panel companies, that right. um, to become the monetization engine in a much broader way for consumers. And there's a few companies that have gone out, down that path. Peer Profile out of Australia, um, particularly, right. uh, started as a panel company, and then they started to evolve into a personal data locker. Um, and so now do they share all of the data that they collect on the consumer back with them so they can access it, but they okay. also um, pay them for participating in research and for looking at ads. Wow. So they directly monetize that. Um, and uh, I think they played at the idea, well, I don't know if they've implemented it yet or not, mm-hmm. uh, of allowing consumers to actually specify this is what it's worth to me to participate. So rather than the uh, the buyer of the research or the advertiser um, to say you know here's a dollar. The pure profile has looked at the idea of saying no I, you know what I'm I'm high net worth I'm whatever right right um, right. Uh, so no it's worth ten bucks if wow. you want me to participate in this. And you know that type of idea starts getting into the there's been a lot of discussion lately around uh, universal basic income and right. You know, that's not going to, personally, I don't think that should happen through taxation. Um, right. I think this happens through giving people a path to make money just through living their lives because we generate so much data. 
Yeah, right. So l- giving control over that asset and allowing people to be able to monetize that very directly. Uh, if they choose to do it via barter for a free Facebook account, so be it. But if they also choose to say, yeah, you know what, I, these type of ads I'll see for free, but if you really want to deliver a targeted ad to me, then you need to give me something more. Right, then, right. You know, and we'll see how that goes. It's, it's yes. definitely revolutionary for those companies. Um, but I think that we're rapidly heading in that direction where, where consumers will see the value uh, and they will start taking control of that and they'll start saying, you know, I, I need skin in the game. I need a piece of I action. love that model. I think it makes, like, you also then have a ton of consumers or people responding in a way that's thoughtful. Not to say that it's not today, but it, it definitely gives the person ultimately that we're trying to understand control of, of their destiny in some ways, too. Uh, and experience. Yeah. I'm going to, we're going to pause for a short break. Oops, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's continue the conversation, Lenny. I love this. Um, We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking to Lenny Murphy about uh, the future of market research and specifically more on personal data economy. Stay tuned. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to the Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity 2.com. Now back to the program. And we are back. I'm talking to Lenny Murphy, thought leader in the market research space. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the personal data economy. And Lenny, during the break, you and I were talking about it almost feels like there's going to be a shift in the industry where the consumer actually gets a chance to control their experience. Uh, and, and one of the ways to potentially do that is through 
uh, blockchain. Tell us a little bit more, Lenny, and I know you're not a technical expert, but from your perspective, what, what do you what do you see in the future as it relates to this technology? Yeah, before I do that, so I just I just looked at Twitter and I saw that my good friend Laura Bright is retweet is tweeting um, uh, significantly about our conversation. So I just want to give a shout out to Laura. All right, um, great, so. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started looking at blockchain over the last few months um, because a few folks in the research industry were starting to uh, to ask questions around you know what are the applications there and. Right. Uh, and because I was already interested in this idea of the personal data economy and yada, 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 I started thinking that this... So block, blockchain is fundamentally the technology that was created um, to support Bitcoin. So okay. it's really it's a transactional processing database, or at least that's my understanding. Um, okay. you know, it allows for uh, a, a secure and, uh, and rapid tracking of, of uh, transactions of, of an asset. So okay. when we, we hear about cryptocurrencies, I mean, all of those are based on some variation of this idea of, of blockchain technology. Um, and again, everybody out there is listening and says, no, that's not what blockchain is. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's my basic understanding. So um, I think I'm at least in the ballpark, if not. You know, I believe you are, there. too. All right. Um, so, and, and where that kind of comes in the side of the personal data economy is whether it's blockchain or whatever comes after blockchain, the technology exists for people to be able to, to have a, a personal unique identifier that uh, allows them to record their transactions around whatever an asset may be, right? right. So it may, be, yep. uh, it may be a Bitcoin, it may be your personal data, it may be uh, property. You know, it could be lots and lots of different things. Any type of asset, that technology is scalable and allows us to do that. And it also allows it to create an exchange market on top of it. That's where it becomes really powerful. So the idea of, we already do this a little bit in research with incidents, right? Right. So we apply greater value to, um, to populations that are more difficult to get to. So, right. um, so the thing that could apply to, to your data um, where you're applying some level of, you know, again, use the example of a high net worth person who uh, drives a classic Jaguar, which I do not. I'm not using me as an example. I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm. <laughs> I want to. I really want a classic Jaguar. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, but, or whatever it may be, right? A, right. a doctor, a programmer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of different categories we look at that people, their opinion and their information would be very valuable. And blockchain can allow for the foundation of, of them taking control of that and right. monetizing that in a transactional way and even establishing a bidding process. So, and, and seeing what an exchange would look like where that information could be more valuable across the board. Interesting. This could shift the entire formula in, in research. Um, you know, as, as panel companies continue to struggle with underwhelming response rates, for, especially for these high, low-incidence groups, this could be a mechanism in which it, it kind of solves that problem to a degree if, if, if respondents or consumers participate. It, it could be. And there are, uh, I know that there are some companies out there that are working on uh, variations of this. And I think whoever gets it right first um, is going to win. Um, right. And even the, the beginning of the, uh, the sample exchanges that we see in this industry, right, the SIF right. and the, yes. the um, Lucid, mm-hmm. they'd have a pretty good shot at this, too. Right, right. Well, yeah. they already have the consumers there in that right. exchange. That's the first step, right. Yep, yep. And they're all playing with, you know, 
uh, also leveraging data for programmatic advertising, uh, leveraging the data for uh, uh, for uh, you know, data tracking and, and uh, targeting. So they're heading in that direction. Uh, what's missing is that direct consumer interaction piece to allow the consumer to actually benefit from it on their own terms versus mm-hmm. just opting in and accepting what's given to them. Gotcha. And are you and seeing... that statement, I just became the most hated man in market research. Um, <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> what? Let me say, consumers should stay, you know, what, what their data is worth. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, are, are you seeing consumers be, becoming more savvy about this? Is it, uh, you mentioned Europe before, and I, I'm curious, you probably know a little bit more than I do here in terms of, Comparing privacy issues in Europe compared to the U.S. and you know, are we seeing? Are, are they potentially setting the trend for the U.S.? Um, they might. Uh, okay. So I, when I think of the World Economic Forum, I think of that as primarily a kind of an EU-driven uh, initiative. Although certainly, you know, all countries participate. Right. Um, the I would expect uh, a, a fundamental change like this to. Philosophically, to come out of uh, out of the EU or the UK, okay. maybe even China, mm-hmm. um, uh, versus the US. Um, although I would expect the technology to support it and the scaling of it to come out of the out of the, the United US. States. Gotcha. Uh, if it happens at all, but right. Um, but there, there there are indications. Again, all of the 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 data privacy laws um, in the EU, particularly in Germany, uh, are far, far, far more stringent than in the U.S. Right. Um, uh, it's a big deal over there. And it's just, you must comply. Period. Right. End of story. So, um, the, uh, so I, I think that that's where we'll, we'll see more and more of that emerge. Um, because I also expect those countries to get behind the idea of, uh, of a universal basic income before right. the U.S. does. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an easy way to get there without right. it becoming a burden from a tax standpoint. Right. And and a lot of the the conversation we've talked about, Lenny, here is is probably more consumer-driven. Do, do your opinions change um, or differ when you're thinking about business-to-business research? Or, or how, do you, how do you view that space um, from, from a research perspective or industry perspective? The whole idea of actually establishing a value for yourself um, is probably a lot easier to swallow from a, a B2B perspective, right? You don't uh, try and conduct an interview with a doctor without recognizing that, you know, you're going to spend 150 bucks. Right. The so, value is already been given. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the market's actually fairly established already. Um, it's not structured in this individual way. Um, right. But... Uh, but the panel company's function is the arbiter, uh, if you will, or the agent um, of uh, business professionals, and they've kind of set the established market. Another example would be uh, GLG, Gershman Lehman Group, um, right. uh, and how they you know, have set things up from, uh, from an individual consultant standpoint. And, and there's uh, some kind of you know, basic, uh, there's a floor on right. what an interaction is worth. And the individual gets to decide. So if I get requests from GLG for 25 bucks for an hour, I'm going to say no. Right. Um, uh, but when I get requests for 150 for an hour, I'm going to say yes. Right. So, uh, so I think that those, this thinking is more aligned 
in B2B overall. Um, okay. Unfortunately, B2B is just not a huge contributor to global research, right? right. The, the bulk of research is consumer-oriented. Yep. And, and what about, um, you know, other things that are happening? I know we continue to see the need for third-party data pens, and it's almost, it's almost like the respondent is the unique, you know, person that everybody's trying to build and add to and append data to kind of formulate this broader picture of who that person might be. Are you seeing the same? Is that something that is consistent across the industry in terms of trying to peel these pieces or piece these different disparate data sets together? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always think of the movie Minority Report um, uh, with uh, with Tom Cruise. Remember that? about 15 years ago, yes. um, and the scene where he's walking through the mall, and right. the uh, the ads are flashing. You know, Mr. Cruz, whatever his character's name was in the movie. Yeah. You know, you, you you haven't bought underwear in six months. You know, there's a special <laughs> on right now. You know, go buy some underwear. Um, the uh, so it was more from an advertising standpoint, but the uh, and and the unique identifier in the the vision from Minority Report was the the. Uh, uh, was the cornea, so right. um, yeah, it was the is scanning the uh, the eyes, um, or the iris, I guess it was. Regardless, the um, today the idea to achieve that same vision of delivering the right message to the right person at the right time, uh, based mm-hmm. upon their actual behavior or stated or unstated needs, right, um, is the holy grail of right. of marketing. It always has been the holy grail of marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but today we have the technology uh, to begin pulling the data sources together right. to create that attribution model. And that's right. really what it is. It's, it's, uh, there's lots of words for a single source, um, mm-hmm. attribution, but it's all talking about the same idea of knowing that Lenny Murphy went here, he saw this ad, then he went here and he bought or did not buy that product, and if he didn't buy that product, he bought another product, and you know, here's his overall profile. So next time, let's target him with this ad. Maybe that'll generate him, you know, to actually buy the product that we wanted to buy. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it's about pulling the levers. Um, and of right. course, then we also now we have it's not just the data; it's also the the understanding of how humans make decisions. So we know which lever to pull, um, how to make each interaction uh, more engaging uh, to us on a non-conscious level uh, so we're more likely to do what to wants to be what people want us to do which right. quite frankly scares the hell out of most people it does right? no one it does to think no <laughs> I'm not a robot um, but we are we are um, yeah. Yeah, effectively you know we, we still have free will yeah we're trained and conditioned in appropriate ways but we are we yeah. are and, I would agree. and we're just wa- yeah we're wired a certain way, and when you understand what that wiring is, then you can can do a lot um, uh, for good or ill. And it's the ill part that I think really concerns people, and they yes. and it should, right? Right. Lenny, when we come back, I want to talk about some of these other uh, research methods or, or approaches that we haven't touched on: neuroscience, eye tracking. So stay tr- stay stay tuned. When we come back after the break, we'll talk about a few other. Uh, methodologies that we haven't spoken about yet. Stay tuned. Follow- 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Don't fly blind. Blink Insights provides valuable research to support more informed business decisions. We have walked in our clients' shoes and understand their challenges. We will work with you to understand your information needs and deliver actionable results through innovative and cost-effective solutions. Blink Insights will partner with you to help you make strategic decisions about your brand and better improve your positioning, your product and service development roadmaps, and your delivery to customers. We work with a variety of clients. Call us today at 516-494-0077 or visit blink-insights.com. Starting, building, and growing a company is hard in itself. Doing it on your own is even harder. You need a partner on your side who can help. Infinity Squared Ventures works with you to understand your goals and design options that can help you accelerate your business. We have creative ways of working together that allow business leaders to still realize their visions. Visit infinity-2.com and let Infinity Squared Ventures get started with your company. That's infinity-2.com or call 516-591-0270. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Forum with Seema Vasa. To talk to Seema or her guest this week, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at infinity 2.com. Now back to the program. And we are back. I am talking to Lenny Murphy about the market research industry and different trends and visions about the future. And Lenny, before the break, we were kind of almost edging around the topic of neuroscience. I know over the last several years, it continues to gain rise and interest of many clients. What's your perspective on where we are with neuroscience as a research methodology? Well, you know, it has around forever, um, but it wasn't scalable. Um, you know, originally it was around wiring people up with uh, electrodes on their heads or uh, putting them into an MRI machine and watching you know, what parts of the brain lit up. And, um, and that's all good stuff. We learned an awful lot. Um, but it was expensive and it was slow. Right. So, uh, so commercially it's always had limits built in, like anything that's not scalable. Um, today, with uh, facial coding particularly, but not just, um, also text analytics, um, mm-hmm. Uh, has has uh, evolved very rapidly. Uh, biometrics, um, you know, we're, we're we're capturing you know galvanic skin response and you know all types of stuff solely through the technology we hold in our hands every day. Right, your right. Your, your phone is effectively uh, a pretty sophisticated neuromonitoring tool. Um, all the capabilities are there; they just have to be turned on. Right. So, so now we have scale. We have scale through the technology that everybody has in their hands all the time, and. Um, you know, we still don't know all the answers, um, but we're pretty good at saying uh, if you have this reaction to this stimuli, because we've observed it so many times, that there's a pretty high confidence to say, you know, you're, you're pissed or you're right. sad or you're, you know, whatever, right. um, uh, whatever the emotional reaction is. Uh, so, therefore, it's become very valuable. And we can look at where the money's being spent um, uh, 
Also, companies like Apple uh, have right. been bought up. Facial uh, scanning companies left and right. Uh, right. Everybody is investing significantly in, in uh, cognitive computing, um, which effectively is just a way to use AI to try and understand emotional behaviors. Um, and that's all driven to deliver ads that push people to do things uh, to that buy they stuff. may not be thinking about doing. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, go ahead. It'll continue. It will continue, and there'll be further. And to your point, the scale is there with the device that we all use uh, probably most frequently in our day, which is a smartphone, and I'm sure other devices as well. Lenny, I wanted to take an opportunity. You know, I, we don't want to necessarily scare everybody. Um, if you're not necessarily oriented to change, what's your perspective? If you could kind of give thoughts about, you know, if you're a traditional MR agency, what would you recommend those companies to think about as they try to pivot to make the change um, and adapt to the industry? Uh, yeah, you know, I get asked that <laughs> question a lot because um, there's also the consulting side of the business. And unfortunately, the answer often is, um, uh, you know, you have to restructure your business from the ground up. Right. Um, I mean, effectively, the, the future of the industry is going to fall into two big buckets, and that is technology or consulting. Right. Um, and there will be niche categories where traditional full-service research continues to thrive um, because sure. of specializations, you know, specific sectors or, or business issues. Um, but for the most part, that's how it's going to fall. Um, and that consulting component, we talk a lot about wanting to be consultants, yeah. but a consulting business looks way different than a traditional research business. It's a hard shift. It's a very hard shift. Um, it really is. So, so yep. here, and here's the best example that I can give. Um, PwC yep. um, recently implemented a, uh, a change in their model where they built an internal marketplace, a talent marketplace similar to Savio um, okay. for PwC. And they took everybody who was not at a senior level and put them into the marketplace. Wow. So, I mean, they still have an operational infrastructure, right? So there's still, right. there's a director of HR and those folks, but, but anybody who was project-oriented that right. was a cost center that drove specific projects outside of kind of the most senior leads, the consultants, the true consultants, mm -hmm. everybody else is in the marketplace. They're contractors, and they flex up and down. Um, as wow. Needed. The, uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty radical shift. The, um, we have to start thinking like that. That's, we, we can't think... We have to think about people as uh, as our primary asset, not mm -hmm. the the infrastructure of the organization, not our phone rooms. I mean, you know, those still exist. You know, not our programmers. Uh, it, it's not the organization. It's about the, the people themselves, and and those assets are going to fluctuate up and down in terms of need. So carrying that load um, right. is, I think, going to be harder and harder for a lot of, of companies to do. Right. So they've they got to change the model. And to be consultants, they're going to have to be consultants. Um, uh, consulting is not delivering a 50-page PowerPoint deck with charts yep. and graphs. Um, consultants say, here's what it means and here's what we think you should do. That's not something that most research companies are very good at. There are some that are excellent at it, um, but most, I would say, are not. So, Lenny, I really appreciate you um, joining us today. I wanted to give you an opportunity, just in case people don't know how to get a hold of you. Um, wh what's the best way to find you on social media? Uh, so on, on Twitter, I'm Lennyism. Uh, and the uh, best place to find me is my, my real home online, which is greenbookblog.org. 
Fantastic. And I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. We thank you very much for joining us today. And for those folks that are listening, thank you for joining the program today. Hopefully we shed some light in terms of things to think about as you run and operate your businesses or execute on research. There's lots of exciting and interesting things to participate in. So let's all work together. Thank you. This concludes this episode of the forum. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to find me on Twitter at Simavasa or on LinkedIn at Simavasa. Thank you so much. Have a great day ahead. We are so glad you've joined us for the forum. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time with your host, Seema Vasa, on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a good week. 